I love Christmas music. Anybody else in the house that likes Christmas music? Come on. Ah, it's finally that time of year. Now, I know some of you start jamming to Christmas music the moment after Thanksgiving dinner is complete. And some of you think those people are crazy and you think just the week before Christmas is when you should listen to Christmas music. And some of you think you shouldn't listen to Christmas music at all. And I'm here to tell you, all of you are wrong because I don't think Christmas music should be tied to Thanksgiving. I actually think we should start, yes, thank you. I think we should start listening to Christmas music after Valentine's Day. I think that's like, okay, you got a month and a half off and then you start cranking that stuff up because it's, it's just so good. I love it. And, and it's, uh, it's a joy to sing it and express it. And, and actually, you know, it's, it's interesting. This is a unique fact you may never have thought of before, but you know, singing in general, collectively, like corporately, whether it's Christmas music or just regular music that, that we sing together. You know, corporate collective singing is unique to the movement of Christianity. Now just think about that. You won't find any other religious system. You won't find any secular organization that gathers to sing. You go to your Rotary Club meeting, they're not gathering to sing. <laughs> you go to your local HOA meeting, they ain't gathering to sing. Because Jesus ain't there, okay? <laughs> HOA meetings are where all the Pharisees show up. Am I right? Like that's where the Pharisees are, all right. <laughs> now listen, think about it. Like there's no other religious system of thought that embraces corporate singing like Christianity. There may be like chants or there may be some type of music that's, that's scarcely experienced, but nothing like what you see with the movement of Christianity. I think that's pretty cool. That, that literally, like the only people throughout the history of the world who routinely gather to sing and express praise are people who are redeemed by Jesus. You don't see it anywhere else. And the reason we do this week after week, the reason we do this in like various gatherings, the reason like in January, we're kicking off a whole worship opportunity for our kids in our kids ministry is, is because every single one of us are made to sing, we are made to worship. Actually, every single person on planet earth is made to sing and made to worship, which is why every single person on planet earth sings something. <laughs> now, it may be some good music like what we had back in the 1980s, all right? Or it may be something else. I'm not saying Christian people are the only people that sing because actually everyone sings because everyone's made to sing because everyone's made to worship. But Christian men and women are the only people that routinely, regularly sing together. And that's why when you look over the past several hundred years, Actually, as you look farther back, as you look 
of the past 2,000 years, it's, it's been the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that has produced an overwhelming amount of incredible music, much of which we still sing today. You think about the volume of what Christians have produced in terms of music. It, it's, it's tied to the fact that we are made to worship. We are made to sing. We are made to express praise. We, we are made to express joy and joy in song. And so literally you will only find this kind of regular corporate large group singing and praising in the Christian context because Christians understand, Christ followers understand that, that Jesus has saved us to express praise and worship to him. And what's so cool about Christmas is, is we have now over the course of several hundred years, like, right, we, we've got a whole collection of music and songs just tied to the coming of our King that we sing at Christmas. That's pretty cool. And so we're actually kicking off a new teaching series this week called The Songs of Christmas. And over the next four weeks, we're gonna look at four of our favorite Christmas songs and see where they're tied to in the Bible and who wrote them and kind of look at the backstory and then and hopefully kind of discover afresh and anew from God's word, which is what all these songs are tied to, what God's trying to communicate to us through his word and what is communicated through the music that we sing and express this time of year as a people saved to sing and express worship to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, because we are all made to sing. We're all made to worship. And I love the fact that, that God says in his word, just make a joyful noise to him because some of us are confined to just that, a joyful noise. <laughs> and God says, that's okay. You, you may not be a great singer. You don't have to be a great singer to be a meaningful worshiper. Isn't that good news? Listen, I love to get my singing on. I love to get my worship on and, and I sing and I worship and my favorite places to sing and worship are in my car when no one can tell me that I'm out of tune because we've turned everything into an American Idol competition, right? I think you're a little low, your pitch is a little under. Well, I think you're nosy, that's what I think, all right? Just let me sing, okay? Because God says, just make even, listen, even if you don't consider yourself a great singer, that's okay, you can be a meaningful worshiper. It may just be a joyful noise, but we are made to sing. We are made to worship, all of us. Listen, I've seen that in my kids early on. I'll never forget years ago when my kids were little. We, 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 we uh, used to like hear this, uh, this commercial on television. It was for an attorney and his phone number, I'll never forget it. His phone number was 444-4444. <laughs> All right. And even in the secular world, much is tied to music because music aids memory, right? And and so I'll never forget one day walking around my house and I hear one of my kids walking around, four, 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 four. They're singing this commercial. And if you knew which child this is, you would know that this was a harbinger of things to come with this child singing the phone number to an injury attorney. <laughs> But like, I'll never forget, right? Like four, 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 four. I'm like, I've got other music you can listen to. 
right? But it just, like, it just highlights, like, we're made to sing. We're made to worship. And that's why so much about what we do in life is in some way tied to music. And that's why, by the way, if you go back to the days of Israel, what did the, 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 the Israelites do? You know, you know what they did? Like, they put together a book of songs that contains truth that should be sung because when you sing it, it sticks with you. We call it the Psalms. To us, it's Psalms. You know what it was to them? Songs. Songs of depth and meaning and praise that now we hold in our hands as scripture. It's just another reminder we're made to sing, we're made to worship. And and one of the cool things about Christmas is we kind of have a unique set of songs that we sing that help us to anchor our faith to the truth of God's word and ultimately the coming of our Savior. And today, we're going to talk about one of the most popular Christmas songs, Joy to the World. And what we're going to find, what I want to show you here in a moment, is that actually the, the person who wrote this hymn, his name is Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts wrote a song about singing. <laughs> it's actually a song tied to Psalm 98, which is a, a song about singing, about expressing praise. Let me, let me show you just the first couple of um, verses. You remember, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature, what? Sing, let him sing, right? And then look at, look at the second verse here. Joy to the world, the savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. This comes from Psalm 98, where in the middle section of Psalm 98, check this out, the psalmist says this, that the psalmist says, shout to the Lord, even all the earth, the rocks, hills, and plains, right? They break out in praise and they sing for joy. So sing your praise to the Lord, the psalmist says, with the harp, with the harp and the melodious song, with trumpets and the sound of the ram's horn, make a joyful symphony before the Lord, the King. And Isaac Watts, who wrote Joy to the World, based on Psalm 98, gave us these famous lyrics now that, that, that repeating the sounding joy is something that not only we do, but all creation does, because even all creation is made to bring glory to God. Everything's made to express praise and glory to God, which is why Jesus says that if you want to stop praising, that's fine. The rocks will cry out, but the Lord is going to be praised and the Lord is going to receive his glory. And that's why Psalm 98 says we ought to praise, we ought to sing, we ought to shout for joy with everything we have at our disposal because the Lord is worthy of our worship and we are made to worship. (laughs) We're made to sing, to express joy through music and singing. And, 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 And the cool thing about Psalm 98, as we'll see here, is that it's a psalm that points to the coming of our Savior. And so, so let, me, let me just give you a key takeaway here that 
I believe, foundational for why you and I have joy today and why we express joy in our singing and our worshiping this Christmas season. It's simply this, the world has joy because our Savior has come and is coming again. You wanna know why we have joy? I'll tell you why we have joy. It's very, very simple. You know why that Christ followers are, are known as a people of joy, why Christ followers are a people of singing, why Christ followers are a people of worshiping, why Christ followers are a people of joyful expression. It's because we have a Savior who has come and one who is coming again. That's why we have joy. Isn't that good news? Yes. That's why we have joy today. That's what Psalm 98 is all about. And therefore, that's what the great hymn, Joy to the World, is all about. Now, this is neat. Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World in 1719. If you're really bad at math, that's over 300 years ago, okay? (laughs) Man, think about that. We're still singing it today. Over 300 years ago, Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World, like I said, based on Psalm 98, and he he wrote it. This may surprise you. He actually wrote it as a collection of songs from the Psalms and not as a Christmas song. Joy to the World is actually one of our Christmas songs that was not written to be a Christmas song. It was written to be sung in reflection of Psalm 98 all year round. Are you starting to understand why I think we ought to be singing Christmas music all year round? Okay, it's biblical. Okay, it's biblical. <laughs> no, but it, it, it's pretty cool. Isaac watches, he, he wrote actually a wide array of songs based on various Psalms and Joy of the World's one of them based on Psalm 98, but we've taken it and kind of put it in our Christmas collection, if you will, because it does reflect upon the coming of our Savior, the fact that he came and the fact that he is coming again. So we, we really have incorporated it into our Christmas collection. Now, let me, let me show you uh, maybe the yearbook photo of Isaac Watts. If you're not familiar with that, this is, this is him. I guess he was a good looking dude for his day and time. I don't know. Um, I love the fact that he wrote Joy to the World and apparently never smiled. But um, this kind of like, that's kind of how it worked back then for portraits, you know, nobody smiled. It was a rule, I think. But uh, th- this is the famous Isaac Watts who wrote many, many songs um, that we have in various collections today. Joy to the World being one of his most famous, again, because it relates to the coming of Jesus. The fact that, he, that, that he's come and the fact that he's, he's coming again. And because he has come and because he's coming again, there is joy in the world. And, and so let me, let me take you to Psalm 98 now and just, just walk through quickly like what this communicates, not only the hymn, but ultimately, of course, the word of God about the joy that we have and why we can have joy in this season, no matter what we're facing. All right, first of all, I want you to see that we have joy because of God's saving power. The first thing the psalmist points us toward in terms of why we can have joy in this season, why we sing joy to the world, one of the things that actually Isaac Watts points us toward in his hymn is, is that, that, that our joy is tied to God's saving power. Let me, let me take you back to verse one. 
of, of, of Psalm 98 here. Notice it says, sing a new song to the Lord for he has done wonderful deeds. His right hand has won a mighty victory. His holy arm has shown his saving power. The Lord has announced his victory and has revealed his righteousness to every nation so that everyone can see the power and the majesty and the glory of God. I love this. The psalmist opens this psalm of praise and adoration with, with, with an acknowledgement that our God is powerful, that nothing can thwart his plans or his purposes, that he is a God who delivers in a mighty fashion his people, a God whose saving power is on full display for every generation and every nation. We think of a God who delivered his people, the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and he sent them across to a new land. How? By crossing on dry ground. He parted the water they crossed on dry ground. We're talking about a God who sent a bunch of worship pastors to the front of the line and said, y'all march around the city of Jericho a few times and the walls will fall. And sure enough, they did. We're talking about a God that preserved the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. We're talking about a God that delivered Daniel out of the lion's den. We're talking about a God that delivered King David in the midst of Goliath. We're talking about a God who delivered his people time and time and time again from armies that outnumbered them by the thousands. We're talking about a God over and over and over again who has shown his saving power to his people and he still showing his power in the world today. This is the God that we serve. This is the God. And so the psalmist opens up, he says, sing to the Lord a song because of what he has done for his people. How his strong right hand has has displayed his saving power so that all of the nations of the earth will see his righteousness. Isaac Watts took this psalm and he gave us what we know is the third verse of his hymn, Joy to the World. I love this. It's actually my favorite verse of Joy to the World. It's probably the one we sing the least, actually, but I think, I think we should always include it in our singing because look at what he says. No more let sins and sorrows grow or thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Here's what Isaac Watts is pointing us to. He's, he's taking Psalm 98 here, this reflection on God's power, on his saving power to his people. And he, and he says, here's what God's saving power has ultimately resulted in, that, that the world itself, the earth even, the, the earth that's infested by thorns, by hardship, by difficulty, by frustration, this, this world where there is sin and sorrow that grow day by day, this world that's broken relationally, this world that's broken physically. He says, this world is broken it's under the curse of sin. But here's the good news. Through Jesus, he comes to make his blessings flow because Jesus is the cure for this curse. And as far as that curse is found, Jesus overrules it by his saving power. And one day, here's the great news. That curse 
will be fully reversed and we will live in a new heavens and a new earth where there are no thorns, there are no thistles, there are no cockroaches, just in case we live in Florida, okay? There, <laughs> there, there are no frustrations, there are no broken relationships, there are no injustices, there are no tragedies, there are no premature deaths. Can somebody say hallelujah? Okay, I'm talking about a world where there is no curse because Jesus has reversed the curse. That's the world that we're gonna live in. That's the world we're gonna live in. And that's why Isaac Watts says, there's coming a day, no more will sin and sorrow grow. No more will thorns infest the ground. He has come to make his blessings flow as far as that curse is found and that curse is gonna be reversed. This is the hope we have in Christ. How How does he do it? Through his saving power. Let me remind you today, no matter what you're facing in life, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your circumstance, no matter what your family situation, no matter what your work situation, listen to me very, very carefully. There is no situation or circumstance that is greater than the power of your savior. He is in complete control of the world. And we do experience hardship on this side of heaven. And the Bible does not diminish that. We experience suffering. We experience tragedy. We experience injustice. We experience thorns and thistles. But there is coming a day when Jesus will reverse the curse as far as the curse is found. And that's what Psalm 98 is pointing us to. We sing with joy today. We have joy in our hearts today, not because the world as it exists is perfect, but because it will be made perfect through the redeeming power of our Savior. That's our hope. Jesus is the cure for the curse. And because he has come, we have joy. Secondly, make a note of this. We have joy because of God's faithful love not just because of his saving power, but also because of his faithful love. Let me show you verse three here of Psalm 98. I love this. And he has remembered his promise to love and be faithful to Israel, be faithful to his people. And the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. I love this word of scripture. That not only has our God come, Not only has he sent Jesus into the world, his son, our savior, to live a sinless life and display power through not only, of course, his life, but ultimately his resurrection. But he is also, even right now, displaying a faithful love to his people. Because not only do we live in a world that is broken, if we're honest, we are a people who are broken. And we often console ourselves by looking around and finding someone that seems to be more broken than us and then that makes us feel better about our level of brokenness. But if we're honest, man, all of us, all of us are broken in some way. The curse of sin has manifested itself in our hearts in such a way that all of us are broken. Your brokenness may take on different forms than the person next to you, but we're all broken. And even those of us who know the saving power of Jesus, even those of us who have come to experience firsthand, personally, the saving power of Jesus, here's the reality. We still lean into our brokenness at times more than we lean into him. And here's the good news 
for all of us in that situation. Our God not only has a saving power to bring us into a relationship with him, but he also has a faithful love so that even when we are not faithful to him, he is always faithful to us. And, and his love remains. His love abides with us. So you may be here today and you're like, Okay, yeah, you know, there's a brokenness in the world. Maybe today, like your issues, your own brokenness, brokenness in your family, some things you've said or done. Maybe you're here today and you're like, hey, you have no idea what I've done. I, I, I don't, but I, I know this. There is, there is nothing in your life so tragic, nothing in your life so rebellious that it can overcome the saving power and the faithful love of Jesus Christ. His grace is sufficient to forgive every sin. His love is faithful enough to endure through every season. And notice the psalmist is calling us to express joy, to sing songs of joy to the Lord who saves by his mighty power, but who is also faithful through his enduring love. And this is such an encouraging word to us. One of the reasons we have joy in this season because God not only redeems a people who don't deserve it, but he's ongoingly faithful to a people who don't deserve it. And that's where we find ourselves today, held, redeemed, and loved by a God who is always faithful to his people. And we praise him for that today. One of my favorite examples of this in all of history is a story that Jesus told of a son that we know as the prodigal son, the son who rejected his father's generosity, rejected his father's leadership, rejected his father's graciousness, and he went off on his own and he spoiled everything that he had. But, but what did the father do in that situation? The father, every single day, it seems, as Jesus is telling this parable, is keeping an eye out toward the horizon, anxiously awaiting the presence of his wayward son. In other words, the father does not just cast away his son, does not just leave him for dead, does not just turn the other way and pretend like this kid never lived. No, the father is anxiously awaiting the return of his son, praying that his son will come home, praying that his son will come to his senses. And one day Jesus says that son, after f discovering for himself the foolishness of sin and the fact that sin always leads to destruction, finally says, you know what? My father was better to me and would be better to me than, than, than anything the world could ever provide. And if I were just a lowly servant in my father's property, I would have it way better than the way I've got it right now in the world. And he goes home, he says, maybe my father would just take me back as a servant. And when that kid broke that horizon that day, the father was already looking for him. And he hiked up his robe and he ran toward his son and he kissed him. And it's a compound word there, meaning he kissed him over and over and over again. And he made a fool out of himself because this son of mine was lost and now he's found, he's dead, and now he is alive. And we about to have a party up in here. That's what he said. The faithful, faithful love of a father. The son squandered. The, the son was foolish. The son went on his own way for a season. But when he came home, he didn't even make it to the house. The father ran out, probably on the neighbor's property and said, oh man, I've been looking for you. I've been looking for you. 
That father we know was Baptist. How do we know that? Because he threw a big buffet after that son came home. He, he, said, he said, we're going to eat. He said, I want you to kill the fattened calf. We're going to have a party. And there was that one, right? The brother, the Pharisee, the HOA member. There was the, there was the brother say, hey, why are we throwing a party for this kid? And the father said, it's so simple. He was lost. And now he's found, but he's still my son. And, and, and I know that's a common story, but sometimes I feel like we focus on the prodigal more than the father. Do you, do you realize the main character of that story is the father? Let me say something highly controversial. We should call that the parable of the faithful father. Now, I'm okay with prodigal son. It's all right. <laughs> My point is, you know what Jesus was ultimately illustrating? That our God rejoices when the lost are found. And you may feel lost today. You may feel broken today. You may, you may feel like, man, I have totally messed up and I'm not walking with the Lord as I should and I'm not leaning into my faith and I'm, I'm trying to do so much on my own and I'm not being generous and I'm not, uh, I'm not emulating the, the kindness of Jesus and I'm not concerned with God's will and I'm not leading my children down that path or whatever it is. You, you may feel the weight of that today. I have good news for you. Our God is not looking for you so as to judge you. He's looking for you so as to forgive you because he's faithful. And the psalmist says that our God is a God worthy of joyful praise because of his saving power, but also his faithful love to his people. And, and if you're connecting with us today and you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin, you've never asked him to come into your life, you've never asked him to save you, I, I urge you to do that today. Because you will find through the ministry of Jesus who lived a sinless life, who died in our place for our sin and who rose from the dead and demonstrated his power over sin. If you've never asked him to come into your life and to save you, if you've never committed to live for him, I, I'm gonna tell you today's the day you need to do that because no matter what you've done, how wayward you've been, if you'll ask Jesus to save you today, he will do it. Because he's a God, Jesus, Jesus our savior, who's displayed his mighty power and also his faithful love. And then finally, he, he, here's the good news. He's, he's gonna reveal his glory at his second coming. Why do we have joy today? Well, because of Jesus' second coming. He's coming again. And here's why we have joy in that today, because we know that when he comes a second time, he will come to judge the world in righteousness. Here's what the psalmist said, Psalm 98. This is how the psalmist closes out this psalm. And I'm gonna show you how Isaac Watts picks up on that here in a moment. But the psalmist says, let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the earth and all the living things join in. Again, you get it? We're, we're a people of joy. We're joyful expression. Let the rivers clap their hands in glee. The hills sing out their songs of joy. Why? Because, because... For he is coming to judge the earth and he will judge the world with justice and the nations with fairness. There is joy today in the heart of the Christ follower because we know that this world is not the end, that a better world is coming and it will be a world of righteousness and justice and equity.
We know in our hearts today, we have joy in our hearts today because we know this Jesus who came the first time is coming the second time. And when he comes the second time, he will vindicate every single one of his children. He will right every wrong and he will wipe every tear from every eye. I tell you what, yeah, that's our hope today. That's our hope. I, I gotta be honest with you. As I look around the world, as I scroll through headlines, as I pay attention to what's happening all around us, if I did not have the hope of a judgment of righteousness and fairness and grace and glory, I honestly don't know what I would do. I cannot imagine living in a world without this hope. <laughs> I cannot imagine living in a world that's so broken and messed up without the hope that Jesus is gonna return and vindicate his people and establish a new heavens and a new earth where there'll be no more sin, no more death, no more injustice. No, what's the psalmist say? He's coming. No, the Messiah is coming and he is coming to judge the world with righteousness and fairness. And so Isaac Watts said this. Let me go back to the first verse and then the last. Notice how they tie together. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Can I just point out to you something that we often overlook in this tremendous hymn? If you sing joy to the world, the Lord has come, you're singing it wrong. Isaac Watts did not say joy to the world, the Lord has come. He said joy to the world, the Lord is come. Do you know the difference? If I ask you how your Thanksgiving was, you said, oh man, it's all right. My in-laws has come, but now they has gone. I feel you. That's not what Isaac Watts said when he wrote this hymn. He didn't say joy to the world, the Lord has come. Meaning he came and he went. No, no, no. He said joy to the world, the Lord is come. Meaning he has come and he is still here. Isn't that good news? That gets me excited. Is that anybody else excited? Oh man, that'll get you fired up in the morning. You get up tomorrow, you're feeling groggy. It's Monday morning, it's cold. It's like in the 40s, which we don't do well here. Okay, just, just think tomorrow morning when you get up, okay? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. He has come and he is still here. He is still with me. That's what he's communicating. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. He has come, he, he is come. Some of you are like, well, my in-laws is come. Well, that's your problem, okay? I just, listen. That's what we get for living in Florida. Everybody wants to is come to our house and just stay. All right. But yeah, I hope you see the significance of what he said. Joy the Lord, the Lord is come, has come still here. So let earth receive her king and let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. You know, you know what this reminds me of? What Jesus said to the churches in the book of Revelation. He didn't not to the world, to the churches. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Somebody ought to let me in. Because I, I have come and I'm, I'm still here. Let me take you the last verse of Joy to the World. And so Isaac Watts, he, he wraps it up with this. He said, he rules the world with truth and grace and he makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness 
and the wonders of his love. He rules the world with truth and grace. Psalmist says, you have joy, a joy to sing. Uniquely, Christians, the only people that sing like this. Corporately, regularly, joy. We proclaim joy because we have a God who's demonstrated his saving power. We have a God who demonstrates his faithful love and we have a savior who is coming again. And he is coming to judge the world in righteousness. He is coming to rule and to reign. And when he comes, it will be too late for any and all that have not made room for him. When he comes, all these people today living for themselves, their power, their glory, their fame, all these people now that mock him, that commit injustice and tyranny, every single one of these individuals will bow the knee and they will confess that they are not Lord, but Jesus is. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. And so we are a people this Christmas season of joy, are we not? We are a people of joy. A people leaning in to the saving power of our God, a people leaning in to his faithful love and a people joyfully anticipating the second coming of our savior.